Power Hour. Coal. Oil. Natural gas. Power Hour, the show where today's top energy experts break down today's top energy issues. No sound bites, no talking points, no nonsense, no BS, no softball questions, no vagueness, just in-depth analysis and ruthless clarity. Here's your host, Alex Epstein. Welcome to Power Hour. I'm your host, Alex Epstein. This week on the show we are going to do something uh, very different. Something that I've done, you may be familiar with it, I've done it on YouTube once or twice, but we're going to be talking about mental power, or as we might call it, uh, productivity. And the reason is, and this pertains to some good news, this week, Monday morning, I sent in my manuscript of the moral case for fossil fuels to the publisher, and that was after four and a half months, uh, which was a really, really fast timetable for me, especially because CIP has a business and I have to keep running that and doing speaking and consulting. And personal productivity is something that I've studied for a long time. And it took me a long time to get good at it, but I do think I got very good at it. And then for this project, I needed to take it to the next level, to say the least. So I thought I'd share with you some of the things I learned while doing this project, because although most of you probably aren't going to be in the book writing business, I think it applies uh, to anything. And I, I put out a query on Facebook and got some interest and got some good questions. So I'll try to handle most of those. Um, but I want to handle them within a certain framework. So I guess as context, it's not exactly a prerequisite, but I would definitely recommend going to YouTube and searching for Resolution Revolution by Alex Epstein. Resolution Revolution. Um, because this is where I talk about the issue of what I like to call inevitability which is how to make sure whatever your goal is or whatever habit you want, how to make it as close to inevitable as possible that you'll get it. Because we, we know there are tons and tons of books with good ideas, good diets, good systems. And often the sticking point uh, is not that the system is wrong or the diet is wrong, but actually following it. And so there are a lot of principles that pertain to how to actually make yourself follow something and and to make it relatively easy. And just to quickly summarize that, that's the idea of conditions, which is that you want to, you want to set up your life so that your, your environment has conditions in it that are continuously reinforcing and prompting you to do the things that you actually want to do. So one of my favorites, actually my absolute favorite that I talk about a lot is the daily meeting. So it's just 15 minutes a day, meet with someone, have a, you know, have an agreed upon schedule where they ask you, you know, have you done this? Have you done this? How's this going? How's this going? And just having that condition in your life will uh, just continually hold you accountable. And if you want to take it to the next level, this is controversial, but I like using money. So if I, you know, if I, let's say, do something that I don't think is a good idea, like eat junk food, I'll just pay $10 and that way, you know, for me, that's an easy system for just deciding, okay, is it, do I really want the treat? Maybe I do. That's fine. I'll just pay $10 and not, not have it be uh, a big source uh, of anxiety. Anyway, I talk a lot about conditions and resolution revolution. So I'm not going to go into that too much today. What I'm going to go into today is the system that I actually use to be productive. So within the context of, I have conditions that 
make it very, very likely that I actually do the things I'm going to talk about. So again, you need that. That's a framework. If you don't have that, it's going to be hard for you to do any of the other stuff, uh, let alone most of it. Um, but it's still important to know what is an effective system. And the two areas we're going to be talking about today are very broadly the issues of choosing the right work to do, which I'm going to argue is the most important thing in productivity, the most overlooked. Most of most un, lack of productivity is choosing the wrong work, which no matter how efficiently you choose the wrong work, that's like how efficiently you sail in the wrong direction. Uh, that's that's no good. So you need to figure out how to choose the right work, which is a whole enterprise in itself. And then there's the issue of optimizing performance while you're working or optimizing the work that you do. So those are those are going to be the two big areas. And I'm going to share a lot of specific things that I do and what I'll call my personal system. So this is what I actually do. And I want to admit, the reason why I'm doing this is different than what I would have done, say, five years ago. Five years ago, I would have focused more on, okay, here are the principles that you need to follow, and these are the fundamentals of productivity. And those are important. But when it comes down to it, you're not a principle is an abstraction. What you're doing in reality is a, is a particular practice that's going to work for you or not work for you. And often what we lack is, you know, is, is that collection of specific practices that all fits together. And I'd call that your, your system, which is the set of interrelated things that add up and what I think of a lot is I try to look at other people's systems and be a system thief or a system stealer and, and look at, oh, how are they handling this area? And that, what's the concrete uh, best practice? And one thing about systems is if there's an area where you're not, you life doesn't work for you or, or where you think there's a drastic room for improvement, my experience is you should just try exactly what someone else, if someone else has a working system, try doing it exactly their way for a little while before you try something else. Because the, the usual thing is to say, I'm not so sure this aspect of this system would work. Or I don't know why you have to have the meeting or I don't know why you have to have another person. I mean, why can't I do it myself? Well, the whoever has figured, who has the area figured out, has figured out by the nature of the situation much, much more than you have. And, or if I'm studying it, much, much more than I have. And thus they have a whole context that you don't, and they have a whole set of experiments that they've run that they haven't bothered to tell you every single one of. Um, so there's this fear, and I've, I've had this so so much, and it's been very costly to me, this fear, of, well, what if part of the system isn't quite right? But see, that's the wrong fear. Because if you don't have a working system, you're at zero, or you're at five, or you're at 10. What you wanna be worried about is losing all the good things in their system. Because once you have it, and once you can get it to work, then you can change it and see what happens when I take this out, what happens when I put this in. Once it's yours, then you can play with it as long as you, you just make sure to monitor the results because you change something in a system, it can have all sorts of unanticipated consequences you need to measure. So <laughs> this is sort of a, uh, this is sort of a, the more theoretical way of saying, do if, if there, this, there's an area here where you need help and try doing it this way. Um, and that's that's not a dogmatic thing. It's the opposite. It's recognizing that you don't have enough context or ability to a certain area, so you want to try something that works, so that you get a lot of concrete familiarity in something that works, and then you know, and then you can keep evolving it in the same way that I uh, keep evolving mine. So, two two things we've started out with. One are 
the the whole issue of execution slash implementation slash following your system that is under resolution revolution that has to do with the issue of conditions and inevitability make sure to listen to that um, in conjunction with all of this and the second issue is we're giving you concrete guidance on a system that works so try to emulate that system where you need it if, if you think that you have a better one uh, it's still probably worth trying or if you have a really well working one one that works really well it's probably worth trying but particularly if you don't um, try this and, and see what kind of results uh, you get. All right, so again, the two big topics, those are the preliminary topics, just as context, the two big topics are going to be choosing the right work to do and then optimizing the work that you do, optimizing your, your performance. So that's gonna include things like, you know, how to deal with deadlines, how to relax, the role of sleep, um, you know, mental focus, those kinds of things. Um, well, probably I'm going to try not, and I could talk for a long time about all of these, and if there's more interest, I, I might going forward, um, but I'm going to try to get through all of this in about 45 minutes, so we'll see how that works. All right, so work work choice. Now, I indicated this before, I said this before, but I, let me say it again. The most, The biggest form of lack of productivity is choosing the wrong work. So the biggest form of lack of productivity is choosing the wrong work. I don't have a percentage, but I think the vast majority of people, the vast majority of time are choosing the wrong work to do. And if, you, if you've ever had the experience of finding a job that's really a really good fit or starting a business that's really a good fit, it's so different from having one that isn't a good fit. And that, that changes everything. That changes your motivation. It changes the quality of your thinking. It changes your focus. It changes your energy certainly changes your compensation. So in whatever you're doing, you really want to think about, it's on a couple of levels. One is this the line of work that I want to be in. So it's, it can be on that high level, but then let's let's take it on the level of a goal, like a specific goal, because um, you know, that's what I had with, with the book. Um, there's an element of, okay, I have this, this book. Now, part of it is deciding what I want the book to accomplish. And there you have you have to think about, okay, well, what's the purpose of this book? And then you also, there are always constraints on things. That's another aspect of choosing. So if I say, well, I want this to be, uh, you know, the most beautifully reading book that, that indicates my ability to actually do this, since I don't believe that was a grammatical uh, phrase right there. But the, uh, if I want this book to read more beautifully than any book written this year, if that was a goal, okay, well, that uh, I don't think is within my capability anytime soon. And that doesn't really seem to be the most important thing to a book on the moral case for fossil fuels. But you have to decide, okay, I want it to be, I want it to read really well. I want it to be smooth. But in particular, I want it to be very accessible, unintimidating, uh, just you know, friendly in tone. You think about all these things and you're always thinking about, okay, what do I want? What are the constraints? What matters most? And to the extent these things aren't thought, one will just do, one will make decisions on them that are non-optimal. Uh, so for any project, there's a lot, a lot of value on the front end and just thinking about, okay, what exactly do I want this to accomplish and what are the priorities? Because as you go along, we're going to talk about optimization. You're going to need, there are all kinds of trade-offs that are going to be need to be made 
also also trade-offs you'll need to make and without a clear idea of the purpose in the hierarchy of things within the purpose it's not going to be um, it's not going to be done properly so an aspect under you know what what to do so if, if you have this you know I want this book I want it to be of a certain caliber I want to cover uh, certain things I want to take a certain angle I want to hit certain audiences that I don't want to for various reasons, I don't want to explicitly state all of that uh, here because I want you to read it and not, you don't always want people to know exactly the thinking behind everything. You just want them to, to take it as it is because that's the way it's designed to be consumed. But stipulating that I have a, a very specific idea of what I want to accomplish, then there's the issue of choosing the work that goes into that. And that, that raises the issue of delegation. So how can I get other people involved? And particularly if you run a business, this is something you have to constantly think about. But even if you don't, even if it's a project like this, often you can get other people, uh, you can get a lot of help from other people. Now you can also get really messed up from other people. So I wanna talk a little bit about the parameters where delegation is, you know, is wise and where it's it, it can be uh, very destructive and there are going to be a couple elements but one el so we can d divide delegation into delegation in the conception of a project and then delegation in the execution of a project delegation is usually thought more in terms of execution like okay well I need I need this research so I'll get you know in my case Stefan who does a lot of amazing work for CIP I'll get Stefan to research this or he probably knows it already, so I'll just ask him, what, you know, what are the three key ways in which energy impacts water quality? And he'll tell me, and then he'll give me some sources, and you know, that'll be great. Um, so that, that's the delegation of, of execution, and that has a, a whole set of requirements to it. But then there's also delegation of conception, which is in terms of coming up with the basic uh, idea and purpose. It's good to have other people that it's good to involve the expertise of other people, but here's the tricky part, or here's one of the prerequisites. You want to be in both delegating conception um, and execution, you need to be dealing with great people, which I would say at least is people who know more than you about the aspect that you're, uh, you know, either involved in conception or execution. So let's take Let's take uh, conception, and I, you know, not I don't want I worked with a lot of people on this, but let's take a broader point. Uh, sorry, a way in which I'd say I involve experts in the conception of this project and basically everything else CIP does. Um, the way I think about a given project, and even CIP in general, is I can subdivide the aspects of what I want the result to be into many different categories of expertise. So let's say you know, part of CIP involves very effective public speaking. So then I can say, okay, who are the best public speakers in the world and how can I gain from them? And maybe I can have a conversation with Jerry Seinfeld. Maybe I can't. So far it's can't. But he's an amazing speaker. I think comedians are amazing speakers. So I can watch him. I can listen to him. And then I can, I can extract knowledge from him that I can then put to work in my own conception of things. So if I learn from him, for example, a certain attitude toward audience, then I can I can take that and then I can put that into my own conception. I want I want this book to be really relatable uh, to any audience. I want it to be as if you were just talking to me one on one and we were just 
there's no no flowery stuff just this is how i would explain it uh to a person and so i can by by studying the expert i can get uh i can figure out some aspect of the conception and uh optimize it you can have it can be things like just you know looking at there can be the process of marketing the book and which I'm, I'm really just starting now and looking at, okay, who's re done really well. There's this guy, Tim Ferriss, some of you might be familiar with. He wrote a, book, well, a couple of books, but the famous, most famous one was called the four hour work week. And he made that a New York times bestseller without doing any of the, the conventional things. So, okay. I want to take that from him. So that's part of the conception of the project is I want to have these, uh, these experts, um, in terms of, you know, in terms of, uh, just the content of it, reading, reading the best people, look, you know, scanning their stuff. And it's really good if you can, and it often works to just be able to ask people questions. So be able to call some people and say, uh, you know, what do you think about this? What do you think about this? And remember we had a series of power hours where I would interview different experts. And in a large part, that was to get material from the book. And if you, if you look at some of the stuff in the book, and if you look at some of those power hours, you'll see uh, there's some points I definitely got from from those interviews. And more broadly, Power Hour, one of the things I love about it, and one of the purposes of it is that I get to ask energy experts all sorts of questions, including questions that I myself have and um, uh, you know, questions that I'm confused about. So one way in which you are, in effect, delegating the, uh, you can call it other things, but I'm calling it delegating here, uh, is finding the best people, learning from them in the, in the form of either published work or in the form of, uh, you know, querying them. Now, if you can afford it and you have the access, you can get a really good expert to help you in terms of the conception. I had a couple of these whom I, I won't name, but a couple of really brilliant people. One in particular who was completely instrumental in the in the conception of this, because you know, at the beginning, one of the big things I I, I knew I knew that, and this goes back to choosing the right work. I knew that if I didn't choose the right assignment. I didn't choose the, the I, I could, if I didn't really figure out what I wanted to do and I had four and a half months, I would be in big trouble because I don't have a large margin for error. And I knew that I wouldn't be able to figure it out perfectly, but I wanted the best shot. I wanted someone really brilliant to bounce things off of and to catch errors. And, uh, you know, this person helped me immensely at the, you know, at the beginning and even throughout the process, but particularly in the beginning, just sorting out, okay, here's what we want to do. Here's what we don't want to do. Here's Let's get, what exactly do you mean by this? What exactly do you mean by that? And that was amazing. That was an amazing form of, of delegation, you know, well worth, completely well worth the time and the money. Uh, so you can't always get that, but you, at least you can you can be on this premise of, of in choosing the work you're going to do, and in executing it for that matter, but here we're focused on choosing the work you want to do, find people who are really good at some aspect of what you're doing. And I just want to say there's a certain mentality that I think is very helpful, which is just you're always trying to extract the value from a situation. So if you see if you see someone who's a mixture of good and bad, he's you see someone and you think, um, well, we talk about I'll mention this now. I'll talk about it later. Like something like let's say you see let's say I, I put this on Facebook, so I'll I'll I'll, I'll raise it here. Uh, there's a Jerry Seinfeld, who I think is one of the just most impressive people in the world, and I learn a huge amount from him. I love his show, Seinfeld, but I also just 
he's brilliant and and so strategic and you just do do not become successful for 40 years running uh you know through all sorts of you know including when you have a smash hit and that's usually the time when you go downhill you know he's just so so brilliant in terms of how to how to conduct a career so i've learned a lot from him but one thing he said is he's given he's recently in the last couple of years talked about how instrumental meditation has been in his career and what what's a variety of meditation called they call transcendental meditation which is sort of a confusing term but um anyway the the essence of it is or the the idea of it is this is not a religion it's not a philosophy it's a particular technique that's very good at relaxing the mind and the body so uh now i think if you investigate it more there with most of these things there are sorts of religious aspects associated with them. but that's exactly the point the question is when you see something like this like assuming you know i mean i have a huge amount of context of seinfeld assuming someone like that you, you just if you if we stipulate this is someone incredibly rational incredibly successful as soon as i see something like that i say okay i'm gonna i'm gonna figure that thing out i'm gonna try that i'm gonna extract what i can versus oh no that seems like a bunch of you know that seems like a mess or I don't want to pay someone to do that. My, my view is if there's some, if, if somebody has real value in an area where I think I need it, in this case would be like relaxation, resetting your mind, which we'll talk about later, you know, for sure figure out a way uh, to do it. And he's, Seinfeld has talked publicly about even Scientology, which I've never looked into at all, um, which obviously has, to say the least, has a lot of, uh, we've looked into it a little bit to know that there's a lot of BS, but he said, you know, he, he got some tremendously helpful stuff and I don't have this as an exact quote, but he said, you know, I'm very good at, at taking, you know, just looking at something and taking the essence of what I need. And I think that's a great thing. But if you ever find yourself like looking at something, you look at a system and part of it looks good and part of it looks bad, try to get the part that looks good from it. If you feel yourself having in general, the mentality of, oh, that wouldn't work or I wouldn't do that. That's the wrong mentality because there's a lot to learn from everything, and it's not too difficult to get to get something uh, to get something valuable. My my usual premise is that in any area, there's so much room for improvement that even one where I, I think I'm better than you know is one of my stronger areas, I can improve. So that's that's uh, the point about it's an aspect of of how to get the most from other people is just don't you're not focused on their perfection you're not focused on them as a whole what you're focused on is is what you can get what you can add uh, to your system now so far i've been part of what i've been advocating is this is this is all with the stipulation that you have experts now you know, you have to, it's not just you find some random expert. This is not this kind of global warming intimidation where someone says 97% of experts say this is true. And then you say, oh, great. Well, I'm going to follow that and vote for this bill. You know, and if you actually studied it, you see the study that said 97% actually proved 1.6% and like it's a total fraud and this kind of thing. We're not talking about that at all. We're talking about people that you have to judge on your own. This, this guy really seems to be good at this area that I want to get better at. What can I learn? There's a whole group of people that are not particularly good for, they're not experts at this, so we tend to be inclined to consult. And these are people called our friends. And uh, I should say that 
there is definitely a role for friends in this kind of thing. And uh, hopefully not, none of my friends are, I know they're listening. Hopefully none of them take offense before they, they hear me out. And in fact, a couple, I have some friends who are experts who help me with this thing. And I'll just say going forward, friends can be useful for giving feedback. Anyone in terms of giving feedback on something, pretty much anyone you can learn something from. Now, there's a difference though between feedback so here's a here's a sub point that's valuable. There are three kinds of feedback that you can get. One is someone can tell you that there's something wrong. They're almost always right that there's something wrong. Two is they can tell you what's wrong. That's a lot. That maybe one in five people can tell you what's wrong. And then three is somebody who can tell you how to fix it. And that's an expert and that's maybe one of a hundred. So you have to always keep those things separate. Somebody can know that something is wrong but that doesn't mean they know what is wrong. And even if they know what is wrong, it doesn't mean they know how uh, to fix it. And what happens in projects like this is we we run into these very, very difficult problems. I can't tell you how many mistakes I made, how many problems I ran into. And there's just this, we want somebody to, to come and to figure it out or to tell us. And even there's a limit, there's a limit to even what an expert can do. But at a non-expert, it can feel like, oh yeah, it's kind of like, People deal with psychological things. They just talk to their friends and they don't talk to a professional. Well, if you have a serious psychological thing, you should probably talk to somebody who's an expert in uh, in that. Not Because these are very, very complicated issues. And writing a book, knowing what to do right, it's a very complicated uh, issue. And you know, a really, really good editor will usually be less inclined to give advice than somebody who's not because he knows how hard it is to give advice and how much context there needs to be and how much you need to figure out uh, for yourself. So in dealing with the conception of these things, there's a real danger in just talking about it with anyone. There's also a motivational issue where if you talk about it too much, it actually undercuts motivation because if you talk about an idea, there's a satisfaction that you feel like. It, it can feel like, oh, I'm accomplishing something. It, it, it kind of feels when you talk about an idea like it's getting executed and I'm I once posted this on Facebook and somebody, I got a lot of controversy, but I, my view at CIP is we don't get excited about ideas until we're really starting to execute them because and you want to keep pretty quiet about the ideas. You want to, if it's an exciting idea, great. Let it be exciting in your head. Let it drive you, but don't talk too much to other people about it because it'll, you'll get, you'll get too much of the satisfaction, too much of the motivation will be sort of, you'll have sort of satisfied it and it'll feel like you're done and then you'll be less motivated. So I realize I'm covering a lot of things. I hope, I hope that, but I think each of these is a valuable thing to have in your system and to have in your mindset. Um, and so I just, just want to make sure every important point uh, that I think of is, is coming out. So again, we have this issue of in conceiving of the project, you need to, just be very, very, you want to maximize the benefit you get from the other human beings, the amazing people who live on this earth. But that means you have to be really careful about whom you take input uh, from. Now, one more point about conceiving of a project. Even if you have the best person in the world, you have to, it's still your project and nobody can do it for you. And this is, this is hard. And I experienced this a couple times during the book, right? We just feel like, well, 
God, I just wish someone else could write, you know, talk to someone and they seem to know more than I do and can't they write it? And no, the answer is no. I mean, it could be two sentences or something like that, but it's, it's, there are just certain parts of the process that are hard, but there has to be one mind integrating it and you have to value yourself. Like if this is your project, nobody in the world knows more. I don't care how brilliant they are. Nobody in the world knows more about this project and what needs to happen than you do. And so they can be an advisor, but they cannot real—they cannot tell you what to do and they can't execute it for you. So you have to have in your mind that I'm going to maximize the value I get from other people, but it's still 100% on me. Like they're, they're adding to my brain in effect. Like but it, then my brain has to deal with it. It's not they can't be the one uh, to do it. And there are these difficult parts where it feels like, oh God, I can't figure it out. I gotta have, you can ask other people to help you think through it, but you have to think, you you have to figure it out. You have to do it. You have to be clear. Because as soon as you delegate any of it to somebody else, you've then, A, it's going to be inconsistent, but B, you're going to be detached from the piece from then on because you didn't do it. Um. This also applies to a certain extent, by the way, if you write and you just start writing and you're not really into it uh, and you're not really focused and you're just sort of writing to get something on paper, you can do that, but you're going to need to rewrite it. I mean, you need to be, you need to be connected to the two things at all times, the purpose and the audience. You need to have those locked in your mind at all times. And that's when you're going to do your good work. And if you try to get someone else to do part of it, or you do it in a way that you just sort of doing it to get it done. I need to get it on paper. I just remember you're going to have to do it again. So, or it's not going to be any good and it's going to be disjointed. Then when you edit, it's going to be a pain because it's going to be, why is this here? And I, I know about this mistake. I made it plenty of times, but you know, I, I eventually just had to do everything and just, so to speak, be a man uh, about it. And it's, it's, you know, the hardest part of these things now the, the the hardest part is just these things are difficult. Large projects are difficult. We run into a lot of problems. The solutions are non-obvious. Sometimes it feels like we can't do it. We can't figure it out. You can have someone else help you figure it out again, and, and that can be very valuable. But it's it's on you. You can't have someone else do it, and. Even someone else tell you what to do. Like they can't tell you what the outline needs needs to be. And the better people will know this, and that's part of why you want to work with the best people. But if it's someone who just thinks that they, in effect, you are in some way a vehicle for them to be clever, no, it's gonna be it's gonna be a nightmare. Um, so the places to, to be a little more specific about where we can delegate. In my experience, it's on the front end. So in terms of things like research, consulting, thinking things through, asking questions about, you know, I have lots of, lots of questions about ideas pertaining to fossil fuels. I wanted to think through a lot more things for this book than I had thought through before. So talking to people about that, talking to different experts, that's fantastic. And then on the back end, in terms of getting feedback, you know, that's that's amazing and that's necessary. And you want to, you, you know, you want to be getting feedback on some sort of, of regular basis. Uh, related to the idea of just conditions, by the way, you want to be getting feedback. You also need accountability on the process, which I guess we'll, we'll talk about in optimization. But 
there needs to be, so I had a friend and I, I had to, every day I'd have to update something called my book journal where I just have to say what I did that day. And that was very helpful in keeping me on track. And it's some, every day, I didn't do it every day, but you know, it's his job to bug me if I don't. And just for, for someone else, and this is, was a writer who was helping me. So he knows something about the process for him to just be saying, okay, looks like you're working a little too much on your outline. You know, at some point you need to write this thing or at some point you need to be really editing it because isn't your deadline here that's that's that that's a really that's not an expert thing so much as although it helps that's that that's a place where other people can be involved but and they can be involved in milestones like looking at a draft and and i found that very helpful in this this goes again to optimization setting and a deadline saying okay on saturday i'm gonna have a draft no matter where it is i'm gonna send it out that that can be very helpful as long as but the danger is that they're gonna tell you Oh, just do it this other way. And, and and if it's a point, if it's just an individual point that's in there, an expert on it, that's totally one thing. But if it's the whole book or the whole piece, it, or the whole project, that's that's danger zone. You have to figure it out. You have to take, learn from what they identify is wrong. Learn, if you can, from what they identify the problem as. But it, you need to integrate it all into your mind. So to summarize. Choosing the right work is essential on every level. We could talk a lot about just choosing the work you want to do in your life and, and how one goes about doing that. But but here it's given a discrete project, it's worth putting a lot of thought into exactly what kind of result you want, what the higher the you know hierarchy of priorities is, and then and then learning how to use all of the all the value you can get from other people's minds in executing it. But that, that really means, well, I mean, one, one way to put it that, that I do in the book is you want to use them as advisors, not authorities. So you need, you want as many really good advisors, but you need to get real experts. So you need to get real experts and you need to use them as advisors. If you get non-experts, you're going to get a mess. And if you use anyone as an authority, you're going to get a mess. But if you can get real experts, and if even if it just means you know reading the work of successful people and trying to extract what you can, great. But again, it's an advisor. Nobody can tell you what to do, which is good news, which sometimes feels like really good news, and I think ultimately is. And sometimes it feels like bad news when you're struggling. But when you're struggling, you you know you got you got to figure it out. That's 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 your project, and you can get help. But it's 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 yours and you are the best at it and you should appreciate yourself and appreciate that you can if it's a if it's a legitimate project you can solve it all right so that is choosing the right work to do take a drink for a second you might hear some fizz actually i'm going to look at the facebook thing that i got just to make sure that I'm not missing um, anything that that relates to this issue of, of how to choose the work. I'm pretty sure that that most of it is on the optimizing the work because that's that's what we're taught to think of with productivity. And one of the things that I like to stress is is the need to figure out the execution piece, which is the whole conditions thing, because otherwise you're not going to do anything. Doesn't matter how good an idea it is, and then also, but to then figure out 
you know, there's the ultimate leverage is just figuring out what work to do. Okay, so let's see, we got questions about sleep, um, exercise, um, deadlines, sleep, overwhelm. Overwhelm is related to this, so maybe I'll talk about that. Maximum number of hours to work. Um, mentors. Okay, so let's, well, mentors, there's a question about mentors and a question about, um, what was the other one? Sleep. Come on, where is this? Oh, overwhelm. So overwhelm is is interesting, and I've certainly felt it a lot. I'm sure most people have felt it a lot. And particular, I mean, it's been around a lot of successful businessmen, and a lot of them feel it. I I remember a quote a quote that helped me tremendously on this issue was the uh, quote by David Allen, and I'm not going to get it exactly right, but David Allen of getting things done fame, which is definitely a book worth reading. And he said, is it any surprise to anyone that there's more stuff to do than time to do it? Is there any, is it any surprise to anyone there's more stuff to do than time to do it? And I thought, wow, that is pretty profound because it's obvious once you put it that way, but I was sort of on the, the, the premise that, well, I should just be doing everything that I can think to do that would be quote good. And there, what he's saying is, no, there's, that is absolutely the wrong approach to be taking. You need to you need to really be on the premise of of figuring out what do you want to do and and what are the top things you want to do. And part of this relates to the issue of of time. So this goes into both what work to do and and how to do it. I the best form of time management I've ever found, which is is what I use, is that I decide in advance how much of my life is going to be spent doing what kind of activity. So let's say from, what time do I get up? Get up at seven, from seven to 5.30, sometimes to 6.30. But to, and, and this book, I should say, was an exception, but I, I knew that I was making an exception. I knew that this is not what I regard as ideal. And even for much of the book, I was able to, to pull off the schedule. But at a certain point, uh, there's just a, a really large volume. I needed to do it, but I was I was on the premise of this is not what I want long term. And yeah, if I could if 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 I could set the book schedule without if the only context was what's the ideal amount of time, I would have given myself twice as much time. There's other reasons why there were other reasons why I wanted it done early, so I was willing to do that. I was willing to make that trade, but it's important. So, and this goes to people saying, well, you know, I have kids and I have and often I'm dismissed because I don't have kids and I don't have kids, uh, you know, I'm not even close and not married. So yeah, I don't have that. I can't tell you about that exactly. Uh, but what I can tell you is that I do allocate a bunch of time the rest of my day where I'm not working. I mean, essentially, let's say I go to bed at 10:30 or so. Um, I do a little bit of work in the evening prepping, but for the most part from 5:30 to, to 10:30. I'm not working. I'm going to jujitsu class or I'm doing something else, hanging out with friends, uh, you know, watching TV, reading, you know, pretty much whatever I want. And 
that is very, very important for many reasons. One is there's a lot of stuff I want to do that's not work that I enjoy. The other thing is this pertains to performance. It's not good to be working all the time because so much, and this goes to choosing the right work, so much of what makes your work good is your, what I like to call altitude, which is the term that uh, I got, I started using in this context from uh, Eben Pagan, is a really, really uh, smart guy that you can get a lot from, E-B-E-N space P-A-G-A-N. And so much of work is choosing the right work, and that that occurs in the context of, again, what you're doing with your life, a particular, within a particular project, and then even within a particular day. And the more, you know, just getting that distance from it and asking yourself, okay, what am I trying to do? Is there a better way to do it? Just keep asking those kinds of questions. What is my goal? What are the means? How can I figure out a better way? It's unbelievable how much of what we do is unnecessary once it once we get a more advanced context on it. So I shouldn't feel bad about the past, but there are just so many better ways of doing things. And when you have distance from something and when you're relaxed, that's when you can think of a lot uh, of good ideas. So if, if you take for if if your view is, well, I have just so much to do that I can't possibly I have no time to think about it. No. Because if you thought about it, you could figure out a way to delegate it. You could figure out what really matters. Um, so th those two reasons, I think, are completely sufficient. That there's a lot, you know, there's a lot of other stuff in life that's not work that's enjoyable and that work is in many ways a reward for work, and that the work suffers if you're just constantly uh, doing it all the time. Now you might say, well, aren't most of the really successful people aren't they working all the time? A lot of them are, but that can also be that they're they're very driven, which is good. Uh, but they, but it's not that they're necessarily. Like, you could say, oh, Steve Jobs working all the time, probably. Um, it would there may there might have been a different way. Now I guess that might contradict in some way. What's his system, right? If, if you should copy his system. So maybe you should copy his system if you can get it and then see if it's possible to do it working less. But I, in my experience, uh, I'm not going to claim to be one of the highest performing individuals on the planet, but I can perform pretty well. And when I perform best is when I have quite a bit of time to relax. And part of why that is, is because if you really have that as an absolute in your mind, you will optimize your work, which means that you will be more for, for that time constraint, which means you will be more, you'll make better choices about the work you do and you'll make better choices uh, about how you do it. And if you don't do that, you're just going to fill up work. And I, I think with even a lot of the most productive people, they do a lot of stuff that, you know, checking email all the time that they don't really need to do in part because they have this mindset of, well, I'm just going to work all the time. And I, I never think you should set something without a deadline like that. Your a day should be full of deadlines and deadline has the unfortunate idea of it's dead in it, but it's, it's really, it's really, I won't call it a lifeline, but it's, it's something like that where it is, it's, it's just giving objectivity to the fact that your life has only a certain amount of time in it and you want to spend it in the best way possible. So you want to be doing the types of activities that you really like. And within that, you want to be optimizing the you, you want to be optimizing, period. And, and, and there's so much room to choose better things, choose better forms of work, and then better ways to do it. And you only have so much life, so you have to decide, okay, this is going to go, this amount is going to go to this, this amount is going to go to this. And you can, you can 
change them over time. I needed to, ch I felt like at least I needed to change them for the book. I didn't know how to do the book at least toward the end without working a lot more than I would have liked to work. But, uh, in general, I don't think it's, it's, it's necessary. And so there was a question, are external deadlines necessary? Well, deadlines are always necessary. There's no, as soon as you give, give yourself something open-ended, uh, we can apply how this we can argue about how this replies to recreation, but with work, as soon as you go open endedness decreases motivation, decreases focus. It makes you feel like time is unlimited. Time is never unlimited. So it's 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 a to not have that. And it, Dan Kennedy is a guy I admire a ton, a marketing genius, really, uh, productivity genius. You know, he has everything, his view is every meeting has to have a start time and an end time. If it does not have an end time, then you're not serious because you're just going to go on and on and on. You have no control. So start times, end times, uh, and your day, the work part of your day needs a start time and an end time. And there's not much room for negotiation on those. And I, I have that with writing time as well. Look, I, let's say at the beginning, I'd give myself three and a half hours of writing a day. I needed more at the end, but I got a lot done in those hours because I knew that I had to finish at say 10:30 and that was it that was my chance for the day and so I if I if I didn't take it if I messed around or if I just I just got distracted or didn't work very optimally then I'd have to wait to the next day and that wasn't going to be very fun but if if it's oh well I'll just do it later that feels like oh I'm a nice productive boy no you're not going to do it later you're going to do it now or you're not going to do it and that, that is very, very helpful. And, and with any of these things, you can put them in your conditions, you can put them in your accountability so that you're not allowed to work past a certain point. So I think that's a very, very helpful kind of discipline. And this relates to the issue of overwhelm where what starts happening is then you realize, okay, I've only got a certain amount of time to do X. So what really matters? Whereas part of open-endedness is you feel like both the time and the commitments are open-ended. And that... This is nonsense. This neither makes any sense. There's not, there's not an infinite amount you can do, and there's not an infinite amount of time you can do it in or want to do it in. So figure out how much time for every aspect of life, and then prioritize the hell out of things. And constantly be very proud of yourself when you can eliminate something. Uh, there's probably much better ways to use your time than you know of, and be thinking about those. And then within that, you can delegate. There's just, just do not take for granted. Don't act as if what you're doing is ideal or necessary. Uh, I mean, there's something to it, but but you really, there's just, be on the premise that there's a lot of room for improvement. In any case, you only have so much time in life. You have only so many things that matter. So you got to pick the most important things, fit them into the amount of time, and you will be much, much less uh, overwhelmed. There's lots of sort of concrete things one can do in terms of list making and how to prioritize I think things like getting things done have great stuff on that. I don't feel like a particular expert at that. And in any case, we are uh, this is taking a lot. This is, uh, I'm going slightly longer than I had hoped to on this section, which I kind of knew that I would. Uh, but let's get to the next question, which is, how do you suggest maintaining and nurturing a network or acquiring and staying in touch with a mentor without becoming annoying by calling them too much? And then there's one about calendar appointments and deadlines automatically. I just use Google Calendar. Uh, I don't feel like I'm, I'm amazing at that. I also have I also have someone on my team who holds me accountable for this uh, and reminds me of things, which is good because I'm not I don't know 
let's say the least I'm not a master at just always being on top of every appointment, but I, I rarely miss anything in part because of that, in part just because I'm on the premise of looking at my calendar. Uh, but stay in touch with the mentor network. This, these are also issues where you need to make sure that you're with people who know what they are doing. And, or, or if you're not, you need to both know that you're not on. So let's say, you know, to take the example of Seinfeld, you're working on speaking and you, you just have a group of friends and you want to get better at speaking. And none of you is really that great at speaking, but you all want to get better. So, I mean, there's Toastmasters, so this is kind of a fake scenario. But then let's say you watch a lecture every week and then you each practice and then you each give feedback. But you know that you have to know what you don't know. That's very important. So you, you know that this is in some ways a suboptimal situation. And then you have a sort of, uh, you have an intellectual objectivity about it, which will then allow you to be more critical of your own thinking and and not sw not take things be aware that there's a lot of stuff that you could be missing, keep being on the lookout for better people, but uh, you want to make sure that you are getting knowledge from people or getting input from people who really, really know what they're doing. That's why I love, I love watching inter interviews with people who are incredibly successful and just hearing how, what, you know, what they actually do, what their system is, uh, you know, reading books is, is very helpful. Um, and if you're getting feedback, there's this idea of, Anyone can be good at telling you that something doesn't work, but that doesn't mean they know what it is or how to fix it. And if, if you are, if you have a network of people, it can often be uh, how to, you know, they, you can give each other feedback on, oh, I don't think that works, and maybe here's an idea or two. But you just got to be really wary of being in networks of people who don't know what they're talking about, where there a lot of people are just getting a lot of satisfaction from talking about. An activity. Most of the people who are really good at something don't like to talk about it that much because they're they're busy doing it and they know that most people won't listen to them. And this gets to the issue of mentors, uh, nurturing, acquiring, and staying in touch with the mentor. So I have had a couple of amazing ones in my life, and I met one recently who is a, a potential one that I think I'll learn a lot from. I've already learned a bunch from. And I had this I had this feeling where I just thought, I don't know if this guy knows it yet, but he's going to be a mentor to me. And the reason I know is because I know that because of previous experience, I know what people want in a mentee, so to speak. They want someone who has talent but also, and most importantly, will do what they say. And this, this gets to the issue of system. Like if they give a piece of advice, go do it. Uh, not an authority. They probably won't tell you an authoritarian thing, but if they tell you, Hey, go, you should go practice this for an hour a week, go practice it for an hour a week, come back, tell them what result you got. Because if otherwise, if they say that and you don't do it and you do your own thing, Oh, and I didn't think I needed to practice. I thought I'd just watch this on YouTube. Okay. Then there, why are you, bothering me? Why are you asking me if you know what's best yourself? Uh, so, <clears throat> you know, you need to have promise in their view. <clears throat> and I don't know how much I can say about that, but for sure you need to really take seriously what they say and value it. And the way to value it is by acting on it. If you take too much of their time asking questions, it's more like you get one good idea. Okay, I will do this and I'll come back to you once I'm done. 
anyone does that to me, uh, who wants any sort of mentorship or feedback from me, that is just, they've put themselves in the 99th percentile right there just by doing that. It's, it's amazing, but just, it's so rare to do that. And this actually relates to just being an employee or working for someone where, you know, just, you can differentiate yourself so much by just doing something really well, you know, listening and doing it. And then doing that a couple of times. That's the other thing is longevity because it is the easiest thing in the world to get excited once. So when I, you know, when anyone here ever wants to work at CIP, you know, you will get put through the ringer in terms of, I guess I'm giving it away, but you'll be given an extended amount of work to do over time, you know, maybe a month or two of just trying out different things. And in part, that's because I want to see what you're like when it's not just the freshest thing in the world, but when, when I'm not, and when I'm not just, it's not your first day and you want to impress, uh, you want to impress me, you want to impress the team. It's, it's no, what is it like day to day? How motivated are you? How, how much can you follow through? And mentors are the same. I mean, effectively you're working for them in a certain way, but you're, you're not giving them a financial result, but you're giving them an influence result and they want to, they have some reason for caring about the impact that you're going to have. And if you don't give them that, then they're going to fire you. They're not going to take you seriously and they, they should. Uh, so all sorts of interesting things about mentor mentee dynamics. Uh, I think it could be really valuable. I think it could be unhealthy in certain ways. I feel like I've been very fortunate. Uh, if you want to learn a lot about this and, um, I can't say that all of it is accurate and, but, Really interesting account of this is in the book Mastery by Robert Greene. He talks about uh, being uh, just the relationship between mentors and mentees. And one of the elements is if you're with someone and they teach you, how well do they do with when you get really good or even surpass them in some area or when you decide that you've extracted what you need from them and they disagree. And it's very easy. It can just as easily be one as the other who's right. But I, I think the best, I mean, I feel like, like in, uh, well, he won't mind me saying it. So, uh, a big mentor of mine, Dennis Ferrier, uh, is a, you know, incredibly brilliant guy and has just helped me so much even before CIP just has incredible judgment, incredibly creative, uh, has done an incredible variety of projects, including being a major, uh, did a major, uh, uh, science. I used to, run this uh, really impressive science show and a great broadcaster and just um, I can't say enough in terms of just somebody who's very well suited to, to give me uh, a lot of guidance. And I mean, one thing about this great about him is he has no, it's like if, you know, I didn't take some advice or I disagreed, he would have no resentment because I, I took it in general and just he's always very, very excited for me. Um, and that, yeah, you know, I think that's an amazing characteristic to have, and it's, and it's one thing I'm, I'm grateful for. Uh, but I think that's the ideal is that somebody just they see something good, they have no insecurity themselves. They just they see, wow, I, I, this person I could help, and I would enjoy it, and just and that's it. But they're satisfied with their own stuff. Uh, if it's someone who's living vicariously through you, that's an issue. But even then, it might be worthwhile. You just need to be aware. So read that book by Robert Greene. Uh, okay. Now let's deal with optimizing your time, which I've talked about in a, a lecture called Productivity Secrets, which may or may not be available on the CIP website. We're selling it 
for 20 bucks and there was advanced productivity secrets uh, if you guys bug me I'll figure out a way to put that up uh, I don't really need to sell it at this point but um, I'll, I'll probably replicate some of the stuff here but I think that had a lot of good elaboration on on things like deadlines which I'll talk about a little bit here but let's let me run through optimization productivity and this is going to be more on this is going to be more along the lines of this is what I do. So let's just take in, in no particular order. Deadlines. So optimization, if you're going to optimize, uh, if you're going to optimize, optimizing means optimizing a certain, you know, you're optimizing efficiency, which means a certain amount of effort gets you a certain result. So you need to optimize, you know, as minimum, the, the, you want to spend as little time as possible getting the maximum result as possible. So one way to do that is really, really take uh, cognizance of time. Dan Kennedy is really into having clocks everywhere. Maybe I should try that. It's part of his system. Uh, one thing I like to do sometimes is I'll, I'll have, I work in blocks of an hour and a half usually, and I'll definitely have a timer there. But sometimes, and maybe I should do this even more, I'll just set 15 minute intervals, particularly if I'm trying to run through a couple of sections and I know I can get hung up, distracted. Oh, I just want to fix this paragraph, but I really need a bigger picture thing. I'll just set 15 minutes and and uh, you know, pick some pick some ringtone and just keep setting it over and over and over. And it just it's amazing how much work gets done in that period because I know I know I'm always just 15 minutes away. It's also nice because it's always easy to start a 15 minute block because you know it's only 15 minutes, so there's a motivational aspect. But what your mind will come up with when it knows that it has a certain limited amount of time is stunning compared to what it, it won't. So if you're ever working without a deadline, your mind is not optimizing because you don't optimize, you don't make that effort unless, unless there is some real constraint and you can't work with as fast as possible. It's not a constraint that the mind handles very well, at least in my experience. Works well as a specific thing and then you say, oh, 15 minutes, oh, whoa, I better get into, into action. So that's, uh, that's a definite thing. Um, another one which I think I've probably talked about in every lecture I've ever given on this, but is so important is just the issue of uninterrupted focus, lack of interruptions. So this means, you know, I've, I've said before, um, people might think it's contradictory because I post on Facebook uh, a couple times a day, but I, you, there's ways to post on Facebook without being on Facebook. Uh, you can do it from a Mac, for example. So... My general preference is maximum twice a day, email, Facebook, personal, whatever. Um, my best results have probably been with once a day. Uh, I like once a day a lot. Now, I have somebody checking my email for me for urgent stuff. So everyone I know has an excuse about I need this all the time. I'd recommend reading the four-hour work week for just concrete ways of getting other people to respect that. But Whatever you do, you have to recognize that you are paying a price for interruption. So every time, and, and you don't experience it because you don't see the counterfactual, you don't see the alternative universe in which your focus wasn't interrupted. But if, you're, if your mind is calm, if you're not being interrupted all the time, then that's when you're going to get high altitude. You're going to get much, much more uh, creativity, and it's going to be a lot easier to stay focused than if you know it's always an option that you're going to get an alert. You're going to get an email. You're going to get a text message. You're going to get a phone call. Uh, I've I've started putting my phone on silent uh, a lot. You know, sometimes I'll just every hour maybe I'll check it. 
most of the, I don't believe that in most cases you need to be getting digital communication all the time because presumably you need to be figuring out something that requires your brain and your brain does not work well when it's multitasking and that certainly includes when it's anticipating interruptions. Now, I'll give you, I'll give you uh, an example, an extreme example of this if you've ever experienced it. Perhaps uh, it'll be a confession on my part as well, but that's fine as long as you learn from it. If you've ever had an experience with uh, you know, text messaging in particular, I think is the best, or calling is, um, you know, a member of the opposite sex that you find attractive and the person takes a while to text message. This is sort of a cliche in the modern dating world, I think. But what is that feeling like? That's a feeling of part of your mind is just, is just waiting for, you know, whatever your text tone is and your mind just does not work. So that, that is happening on some level whenever you're being interrupted all the time, whenever you're creating a reactive life. So if you just try for even a weekend, even a weekend, so no excuse for work, even a weekend, try you know, Friday night through Sunday night. Try just uh, once a day, you know, 11 a.m., whatever you want, 9 p.m., once a day, just go through all email, Facebook, give yourself, you know, 15 minutes or whatever, you'll be blown away by how smart you are and how happy you can be and how content you can be. It's just unbelievable how much of a difference it makes and how much t technology can be abused. So I, I think there's so many parallels between how Facebook is used and, and drug addiction, which I don't have any personal experience with, but from what I've seen, uh, there, there is a lot. There is, being in reactive mode is not fun. And it, it's, Seem, might seem like you'll be bored, but you won't. You'll find, if you're bored, you'll find something to make you uh, interested. I just remember last night I was watching a show, a show I like, this action show called Arrow, and I just deliberately stuck my phone in my room because I didn't want anyone to bother me, and it's just the greatest of, I, it's just, I'm on my own little island, and I can enjoy my show, and nothing is going to get in the way. And, and, and then this is life. You get the experience of there's nothing, this is an hour of my life, this is what I want to be doing, I like it. I'm happy. So no interruption. Uh, again, if you want to bug me to put out that course, email, if a couple people email me, that'll motivate me or someone else on my team to, to make that available. Okay. So we've got deadlines. We've got, you know, uh, uninterrupted focus. So important. Now, I, that, now those I've talked about, but those, those are that much more important for a project like this. Um, I'm going to, let's talk about something I haven't talked about, I think, or haven't talked about much, which is the issue of mental resets, mental resets. And this is what, this is crucial to everything. Uh, so you know, we talked about the issue of altitude. You want to have a high level perspective on what you're, what you want to do, how you want to do it. That's just the more of that you can get, the more you can use. And you want to be you want to be in this ideal as much as possible this ideal mental state so part of it is your part of it is what you're getting rid of which are the interruptions and then part of it which is what you're putting in and th this relates to the issue of sleep so let me let me bring up the sleep questions and then i'm going to deal with them because sleep is a form of mental reset or you can call it recharging i guess but uh, I, I sometimes think of it as as reset and i'm not an expert on sleep at all uh i'm I have a lot of, and 
I don't know how great I am at it. I mean, I sleep pretty well, but I'm very good at mental resets. So, okay, so someone wonders about my sleep schedule, when, how many hours. Ideally, it's from 10.30 or 11 to 7. Definitely very important to have to have the day begin at the same time, no matter what. That's a condition I put. So at 7 o'clock in the morning, Stefan and I have a meeting to discuss the news and research on the book when it applied. But if I want to go to bed late, I'm still getting up at 7. And that is that, in my view, is much more important. Well, say it's more important than sleep is a little bit not not quite the point. But it is important that you you have the reputation with yourself that you are going to get up at the same time every day. And that there's no ambiguity about that. There's no suffering about that. Now, if you wake up at six, you can you can have rules or whatever. But my view is, okay, I was six. If I wake up at six, I can do whatever I want. I can I can try to fall asleep hopelessly if I'm not going to be able to fall asleep, whatever. But at seven, that's when your meeting is. So you're, you're going to be up at seven whether you like it or not. Uh, and that is incredibly reassuring, and it also helps get to bed early. So to, to use Seinfeld again, Seinfeld has this great routine where he talks about uh, there's two, you're really two people, morning guy and night guy. And night guy is always screwing over morning guy because night guy is so energized and he wants to do stuff at night, and it seems like he doesn't want to go to bed. And then morning guy is like, goddamn night guy, I'm so tired and I feel like this. And, and uh, he says you know, the only thing that you can do is Morning guy's all, morning guy can't really do anything to night guy. He has no control over him. So night guy's got all the power. And his idea is that, well, maybe eventually, you know, you'll get so tired that you'll lose your job and then night guy won't have any money to go out. But I think it's, if, if you have, if, if, if night guy really knows that morning guy is going to get up at seven, no matter what, <clears throat> it'll, there'll be some discipline. You can also have discipline around, uh, I like having a nightly meeting at nine where I start to wind down. So that, that creates a framework where, uh, you know, I wrap up everything. Um, um, I start, you know, I'm getting ready to go to bed at certain bedtime rituals, that kind of thing. So I think these are very, very, uh, it's very, very important, but the morning thing is the most important because otherwise you, it's just, you need to have a re- the reputation with yourself where you know, you're, you're getting, you're going to be productive when you get up in the morning. And that's that. And that I think will generally, I don't, I don't have too much time getting to bed on time and because of that. And if, if I do, I know what I'm doing. So if, if, I don't know, if I was um, you know, having a really, really great conversation or like a, a friend of mine, we'd talk about the book, an expert friend, I should say. And so we'd be talking, we'd meet on Monday night at 930. So that's starting to get a little bit late and I'd get a little wired, but you know what? It, that's when he had time. So we'd go from sometimes until 11.30 and then I might not get to sleep until 12.30. Okay, well, six and a half hours, too bad. That's that's worth it, but I know I know what I'm doing. So, you know, eight hours, of, I think it's totally fine to have eight hours of sleep as your goal. I don't think, if, and I think you should try to do that. Um, and sometimes you might not be able to, but do not, I'll tell you from personal experience, do not try to, do not let, do not make sleep too much of a focus. Because first of all, you don't have too much control over it. You can't control the quality of it. I mean, you can set conditions and that's great, but you have to be on the premise of no matter how I sleep, I'm getting up at seven and I'm going to go kick ass during the day. Like I'm going to go do these things no matter what. The other things can't be, sleep cannot be a negotiating tool. So it can't be, well, I'm okay. 
I'm not ready for the day because I haven't slept enough. That's as soon as that's done, you won't respect yourself because you'll have no way of how do you know when enough is enough, and you'll be in this conflict where you're trying to get to sleep. And, and I used to do this a lot in college. It's embarrassing how much I did it in college. I just feel like because I had this idea. Oh well, you're most productive if you've slept a lot, and therefore I'm just going to keep. I'm going to lie in bed and try to sleep for a couple more hours. No, you're most productive if you're being productive and. Sleep is important for that, but you only have so much control. So set the conditions, control it as much as you can, accept the consequences. And But control what you can control. This is a big thing in optimization of productivity is recognizing where your control lies and doesn't lie. And that's why we set conditions because that, that puts in a lot of positive inputs to it. But things like sleep, uh, you know, any kind of emotional thing, I mean, again, you, you Things are going to come up, but control what you can control with the right framework. Uh, okay, so sleep and exercise, were that any of your parts? So this this gets to mental reset. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> sleep, sleep definitely. Um, yes, I tried to sleep. I mean, I don't. I, the only all-nighter I really pulled was uh, the last night of the book. I needed to. But, you know, sometimes I would sleep four hours, but, but pretty rarely. I mean, most times I would sleep at least six and because I even, because I need to, what I really need to do is to be at maximum performance. That's what I need. So, and, but this goes to the issue of mental reset. And because what you want during the day is you want energy. I mean, you want energy, you want clarity, you want focus. And, you know, there are different ways to get that, including caffeine. Some people take Adderall. I've never taken that. And I don't think I would recommend that. But you you need to... So what you want to find is, is a reliable way of refreshing your mind so that it is at or near its peak. And so this is the issue of mental reset. How do you just clear your mind? And it's sort of a reset recharge. How do you clear your mind and give yourself as much energy um, as possible? And both are important because you need the clarity and you need the energy. So the exercise, I think, is amazing for uh, clarity. Um, like as in as in it clears the mind at least for me Brazilian jiu-jitsu is because in part I I love jiu-jitsu for this I mean I love it for many reasons but I love it for this because it's so physically occupying and mentally occupying so when I'm if I'm wrestling with somebody I, I can't think about anything besides that because it's you now it's coming fast and furious and the other guy's trying to win you can't just be thinking too much about the book so that's great so it completely distracts me from it and then I'm fresh the disadvantage of the exercise is if it's too hard, I find you get tired and the mind, it's hard to refocus. So uh, one way to handle that is I, I would exercise more in the evening. So it's more like I just, it's an overall reset and then I recharge. If I do it during the day, I've, I've had mixed results because I'll sometimes get tired and want to nap. And then too many gaps between things you want to do, I find are not good because you want to reset, but you don't want to be too distant from it. That's, that's a lot of the tension because if you, Especially if it's a really hard project, hard products are intimidating from a distance, so you want to be in them as much as possible. But you want to be in them and out of them. So that is, uh, it's a hard issue. So let's, we have to, as I like to say, we have to respect the problem. It's a hard issue to find a good mental reset. Uh, one really good one is a brief nap. I find uh, now how to do that. I this is my own little technique. I don't know if it works for anyone else. And you're going to think I'm obsessed with Seinfeld, which would be accurate. Uh, I listen on, I go to the crackle.com. I go, I use the app there. They have old episodes of Seinfeld 
I've, I've basically memorized every episode of Seinfeld, but I, I'll just lie down outside uh, and I'll just play it and I won't watch it. I'll listen to it. And because it's so familiar to me and it's very relaxing and enjoyable uh, and I'll usually fall asleep. And if I don't, then I just get to listen to an old episode of Seinfeld. And it's pretty relaxing, but I almost always fall asleep and even 10, 15 minutes, you know, feel really, really good. Uh, let's see. Um, intense exercise or even mild exercise, I think can be really good. You know, just do 20 minutes of jumping jacks. I think you'll feel differently. Uh, walks can be really good. Sometimes I find that's sufficient. Sometimes not. Uh, conversations with friends, if you can schedule them and limit them, I think those can be good, especially if they're on a different topic. If they're about the work, it can be difficult. So you have to, you have to experiment with these things. Um, it's worth just identifying what the different kinds of mental resets are, whether if you, whether or not you want to use them. Uh, one is, this will be the most R-rated part of power ever. Any sort of sexual release is, is a very strong mental reset, which all of us have experienced in one form or another. So however you want to take that information, that is just, uh, that is just a fact. And um, one thing that I really like, which I, as I said, I, I indicated I got from Seinfeld, I, I've become very fond of meditation for, for reset because it is, I can do it quickly. I can do it in 20 minutes and I don't get physically tired. And in fact, I get physically energized. So it has the element of, I can totally reset my brain. Uh, and so I'm not thinking about it and I have more clarity after it, I have more altitude, but I'm not getting physically tired. Um, so, oh, uh, you know, sometimes I, during the last couple of weeks, I haven't, I haven't trained jujitsu, but I could still get that, or at least most of that mental clarity just by meditating twice a day and you know that so you you can try it i like the you know transcendental form of this again do not go into any of the mystical stuff but uh for what it's worth i found that unbelievably helpful and yeah you want to be what you want to be looking for i think is a mental reset that you can fit in so that you're working let's say hour and a half block maybe three hour max some people like to do 45 minutes whatever it is you know, you want a concentrated block with a deadline that you're optimizing for where you've chosen your work in advance, then you get a mental reset, then you come back and you, you know, rinse and repeat. And you're blocking out the time in accordance with what you want. So that includes certain amount of aggregate time for work, but also within work might be, you know, my case, some of it is, is writing, some of it is marketing and sales, some of it is admin slash management. I have to, I allocate in general amounts of time for those. And I think you'll see it, it fits together well. And then, you know, there needs to be some amount of time for more high altitude thinking, what am I doing? Why am I doing it? How am I going to do it? Just keep, keep refreshing that. Keep, keep thinking about that. Keep, and how's it going? Keep measuring it. I didn't talk too much about measurement today, but I think that is, if, if you can do all of those things, then you'll just, you'll be a machine. I mean, you'll be a machine and you'll be able to, I think, enjoy work much, much more. And you'll have this ability. I've, I've talked about it a couple of times, the expression I like, your reputation with yourself will go away up because you'll just know, okay, I can, I can trust myself in the future to do this because I have the right conditions in place, because I have a system, because I know what to do, because I know how to make my mind work in the way it needs to, when it needs to, to work. It's just it's extremely empowering uh, to have it. I've had it both ways and I would definitely prefer having it to uh, not having it. Uh, so I think I, 
I covered everything there. And, uh, well, I am now very near the recreational part of my day. I'm going to go visit some friends. So let's see anything energy related. Well, for sure, please go get after I, after I put in all this work, get in, get the moral case for fossil fuels, order it on Amazon. Uh, if you're in the industry, man, get, get your company to get it. It's, it's, it's good. I have to say it is. It's good. It's definitely, I think the best thing I've ever done in my life or whatever that's worth. And certainly the most difficult, but I think also the best. And yeah, besides that, as always, you know, questions, comments, love mail, hate mail, you can do to alex at industrialprogress.net. Make sure to sign up for the newsletter at industrialprogress.com. We're at facebook.com slash the pursuit of energy, facebook.com slash I love fossil fuels. If you want to be friends with me on Facebook, uh, there's still 2,300 slots for that. I'm sure something like that. You can do facebook.com slash al.x.epstein. That's al.x.epstein. And next week we will be back. Sorry, we were away for two weeks. We will actually be discussing energy next week, not not mental energy, but but physical energy. And I'm not sure who the guest is going to be, but he will be great and the topic will be great. So until then, I'm Alex Epstein. This has been Power Hour. Power Hour. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of energy. Power Hour. The antidote to shallow thinking about energy issues.